I want to welcome you this morning. I know that uh, some of you are visiting for the first time. I got to meet some of you already, and we're just delighted you're here. I hope you feel completely at home and uh, comfortable and loved. We certainly are delighted that uh, the Lord has brought us together to fellowship. The other thing that I want to mention is that I know that you were praying for us this week because our church hosted uh, the Calvary Chapel All Hawaii Prayer uh, Retreat up at Kokei. And we had about 35 pastors and leaders uh, that met uh, for three days or about two and a half days up at Kokei, Monday through Wednesday, and had an unbelievable time. It was better than we could have expected. Uh, There was some teaching, but it was more in the form of devotionals because we spent most of our time in prayer. And we were worshiping and seeking the Lord. We were praying for you as a church. Uh, We were praying for the other churches on the island. We're praying for God's move and his work in the islands here. And it was incredible. And uh, the guys, uh, all of them were just so blessed. They were so thankful. They asked me to express to you their appreciation that that, uh, we we hosted this up on the mountain and what a difference it made for them. And um, they were really, really encouraged. We're uh, we're already planning the next one. So all the guys were like, make it one more day. And they want to go surfing at Picalos before we start. So Uh, let's turn in the word of God this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And we're going to be reading the first first 18 verses. Before I read it, let me uh, preface uh, the reading by by bringing you up to speed because chapter 10 is really uh, the precursor to where we are now in chapter 11. Uh, Chapter 10 is about God's really amazing plan that begins to unfold. It's not a new plan. It's an ancient plan to incorporate Gentiles into his kingdom. And uh, it was God's plan from the very beginning, but, uh, but the, the Jewish people had become somewhat ethnocentric and prideful and arrogant, thinking that the plan was, was for them, that there was something desirable about them that caused God to choose them as a people. God had chosen Abram, and through that one man, through the least of all the nations, God says in, in Deuteronomy, he wanted to build up a great nation, Israel. And through that nation of Israel, all nations would come to know God and his Messiah. But somewhere along the way, there was a bottleneck, and, uh, and, it, and it had to do with this ethnocentric pride that took place. It's the same pride that's in all of us, thinking that somehow the world kind of revolves around us. And, uh, and so it wasn't any different for the Jewish people, and they thought that God's plan kind of revolved around them. And everyone outside of that, that inner circle was outside the will of God and outside the pleasure of God and outside the salvation of God. But it wasn't true. And God, some thousands of years later after the call of Abraham was about to completely, there was talking about an earthquake, there was going to be a seismic shift theologically in the Jewish mindset about Gentiles. Because up until this time, they thought Gentiles were basically, you know, just uh, dogs, that they were worthless, that they were just grist for, you know, the mill, that they were, the, the rabbis actually taught that Gentiles were created for hell. That it was that bad. And of course, you know, if you're a Gentile, most of us are Gentiles here, we, we know how it feels to be talked like, to like that. And if we, somebody talks to us like that, it's going to elicit not a very good response. And so the Gentiles had lots of ugly things to say about the Jews. And so these two groups of people were in great animosity toward one another. And yet God wanted to break down this dividing wall that was separating these two people groups. And so he used just two men, just two people, speak so much of of how you don't have to have a giant crowd for God to do something. He often just uses a person who's got a heart for him, who's willing to do whatever he says. And so God comes to Peter in a vision and speaks to him about breaking down some wall, but Peter's not even sure what wall it is. 
But he's talking about the clean and the unclean, and this is the sheet coming down from heaven with the unclean and clean animals in it. And the, the command, Peter, rise and kill and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I can't do that. It's against my tradition. It's against everything I know as a good Jew. I can't do that. And then Peter, this, this sheet lifts up, and simultaneously while this is happening, a day's journey away in Caesarea, a man named Cornelius has a visitation from an angel. This is a Roman centurion. He's like a Gentile, a full-on Gentile. This guy's a tough military man, but he has a heart for God. And an angel comes to Cornelius and says, Cornelius, I want you to send a day's journey away into Joppa, and I want you to call a man named Peter. And I want you to bring him here because he's got words of life that will bring salvation to you and your family. And so Cornelius immediately sends off his his, uh, his men and one of his trusted, devoted servants. And they take this day's journey and immediately they meet Peter. Just as Peter's coming down from this vision that God gave him, he doesn't exactly know what it means. And Cornelius' men knock on the door, but just before they knock, the Holy Spirit tells Peter, Peter, some men are coming that I've sent and I want you to go with them. Don't hesitate at all. This is a work of God. And so he comes down and he, he's face to face with all these Gentiles that he's not even supposed to talk to or fellowship with or relate with. And they say that their boss has told them to come who had an angel come to him that they were to get Peter and take him back to Caesarea a day's journey and that he was to come and speak to them a message and they didn't even know what it was. And so Peter, because of the works that God had already prepared in his heart, and this divine appointment, we've been talking about these divine appointments for several weeks, and it's just so exciting to hear you guys come and share with me how you're having divine appointments, and you're leading people to Christ, and God is orchestrating these events in your life, and now you're not looking at them as just coincidences, but you're looking at them as they are, the handiwork of God, working through his servants who are simply available and say, Lord, I'm here. I want to do your will. And so Peter goes off on this journey and he arrives at the house of Cornelius. And Cornelius says, I'm supposed to send for you to have you share something with us, but I don't know what it is. And Peter says, well, I was told to come with you, and I don't know exactly why I'm here either. But then they talk a little bit, and then they realize Peter begins to understand that God is breaking down this age-old barrier between Jew and Gentile. And he begins to share the gospel with them. He's only like three minutes into his presentation. He just highlights the things of the gospel that he's going to share on. He does his introduction. And before he even finishes his introduction, the Holy Spirit falls on all these Gentiles. There wasn't, there wasn't an altar call. There wasn't a every head, head bowed, every eye closed, you know, raise your hand. Nothing like that. It's just like suddenly the Holy Spirit fell on these Gentiles who loved God they heard the message in their hearts. They were receiving it all. And he said basically what you had to do to believe in Christ is believe that he was the son of God, that he, he died on the cross, that he raised, uh, uh, was raised again on the third day. And as he was just finishing that part, all these people in their hearts were saying, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. And then suddenly, in the midst of Peter's introduction, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues. And Peter's just blown away. He's got six witnesses with him. And they're blown away. They're amazed that now God has shown his favor even among the Gentiles. And they've come to Christ. And so they ask Peter st to stay for a few days. And so he does. And he has fellowship with these born-again believers. And they have sweet fellowship. 
They eat together. They laugh together. Peter shares with them the word and brings them a fuller understanding of the kingdom of God. And before he even gets back to Jerusalem, word is already spread. This event is already known. Uh, if you live in a big city, you may not understand this, but we live in Kauai. I mean, you can, get a, you can get a, uh, have a cop pull you over in Kapa, and before you get to Walmart in Lahui, everybody's already saying, whoa, what happened? I heard you got pulled over by the police, you know? And, uh, and so that's what happens with, uh, with this, is that, you know, this amazing event occurs, and then suddenly, before Peter even gets home to Jerusalem, the Jerusalem leaders there are upset. And that's where we pick up the text in chapter 11. Let's read it. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send a Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and it's such a delight to come and, and explore together the glorious, the glorious, magnificent, wondrous work of salvation through Christ. First for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And Father, I pray along the way that you would teach us. And Lord, you know my heart. I, for whatever reason, I just feel uh, more inadequate than usual this morning. And a greater need in my heart, not for me to to present a good message, but God, for you to touch lives this morning. And so God, I'm crying out in all my inadequacy and my weakness. I've prepared, but God, I just sense a, a great need to cry out to you uh, right at the beginning here and say, Lord, please let your word go out with power. God, let your word accomplish the purpose for which you're sending it. And God, help me in my weakness to be able to, to do my very best to present accurately your word in such a way that it it uplifts and encourages and builds up and strengthens the men and women, the young people that you, you died for. And so God, have your way. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. And thank you that you are a God who pulls down walls that all might come in. 
We want to thank you in advance for answering these prayers and we pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. As I think about this text this morning, I'm, I was thinking, how, how do I illustrate what's going on? How do I illustrate this dynamic, incredible, powerful work of God that took place in Caesarea and the small, petty response of these Jewish believers when Peter came back. You mean you ate with these guys? There had been a glorious work of God, a wall that had been in place for, for centuries, for millennia, that had been excused and, and supported in some strange, bizarre way by the Jewish people, was now being pulled down by God himself in a glorious four-day period of time. And now the Gentiles were being in, not just allowed in on the outer fringe of what God was doing, but they were being allowed right into the middle of what God was doing. And then when Peter gets back to Jerusalem, the Jews come out and they don't talk about, they've heard the whole story, you know, that these guys heard about this, they probably knew about the vision, they probably knew about the angel, they probably knew about how Peter was just presenting an introduction to the gospel, that Peter wasn't really eating with them. He was just coming to their house and obeying God in the spirit and that there was this glorious outpouring of the Holy Spirit and in the midst of this, the people were speaking in tongues and just evidencing this great work of God in there, but they don't mention any of that. Peter comes back and they say, please tell us it's not. We heard that you were eating in uncircumcised men's house and that you were hanging out with these guys. Is that true? I was trying to figure out how to illustrate this in a way that we could relate to. And the thing that God gave me this morning as I'm driving down the hill is imagine a family that's, they're tourists and they're, they're on the beach vacationing and they're out on the North Shore and the surf is big like it's been this last week. And, uh, and the rips are, are really strong. And this family is like from the Midwest. They've never been in the ocean. They don't understand ocean currents. They don't have a clue about the power of the ocean. And, uh, and a little boy uh, on a boogie board starts getting pulled out to sea and he's calling out. No one can hear him. Suddenly his father sees him and he's not the greatest swimmer, uh, but he decides, hey, that's my son. And he goes out into this rip and starts swimming for his son. And as he's trying to rescue his son, he himself gets into trouble and he starts to drown. And there are people on the beach and they begin to see something happening. And, and the lifeguard, who we have some incredible lifeguards on this island who have rescued thousands and thousands of people over the years. But one of these lifeguards, trained and skilled and knowledgeable, he sees the need, he's been trained for it, he knows what to do, he jumps in the water and he swims. And he, and he gets to the beach and as he's running, you know, he's, he's just before he gets in the water, he's just ripping down from his lifeguard stand and he's just running full speed, you know, there's, he just, he's leaving a dust storm behind him of sand and, and he gets down to the water and he dives in and he starts swimming out there and one by one he pulls this family in, the dad, they're doing CPR on him, he comes to, the little boy's okay, the family's on the beach, they have their extended family there and they're just like, they're crying, they're weeping, they're hugging the lifeguard, they're hugging, their, you know, they're trying to, they're hugging the the boy, the, the, the father's there, the ambulance is coming. You know, there's a glorious salvation that's just taken place. And then some guy comes up in the midst of all this celebration and, and appreciation and thankfulness of what God has done and, the, and what this lifeguard has done. And the guy comes up and says, you know, when you ran past this, you kicked sand all over my towel. I, I want you to come back. I mean, my wife, uh, it went in her purse and my you got it on my camera, and I, you know, I, you need to make this right. I want your name, and I want your supervisor's name, and I want him here now, and I want to talk to him. 
Are you kind of getting the, the idea of the ludicrousy of what we're talking about? The, the narrow-mindedness, the, the lack of attention to the larger details of what has just happened? Well, that's what happened here. And I want to share something with you that I firmly believe is that every one of us in this room are capable of that kind of thinking. We're very capable of it. I've done it myself. You've done it. Where sometimes we lose picture of the, of the bigger process, the bigger work that God is doing, and we focus on one little part that offended us about this work of God that he's doing, and it's like, I don't like that. That bothers me. We've never done that before like that, you know? And we, we start to pull this kind of attitude. I've seen it. I've been in church a long time, and unfortunately, it penetrates the, the environment of churches sometimes. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But I, I want I to uh, teach this lesson from two angles. One is that I want to teach it from the angle of getting the bigger picture. I want to teach it also from the angle of cautioning us about having that kind of small-minded thinking when God is doing a great work. And I also want to glory in the fact that we're Gentiles that have been ushered into this kingdom life and that we should have this incredible heart of gratitude for what God is doing. And so we find in this opening of the text that um, the recipients of this message, this kind of coconut wireless message that made its way to Jerusalem, were the apostles and brothers of, of, uh, of the work of God in Jerusalem. These were Jewish believers. And the message that they received is that the Gentiles had received the word of God and had become born again. Now, the question is, why were these guys being so picayune and petty about the fact that Peter ate in the house and was in the house of uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, I think the reason is, and I'm, I'm, the text doesn't actually tell us this, but I'm going to just share this with you anyway. So I always like to preface anything that I say that's not actually in the Bible uh, by saying, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you my opinion. But I think that there are several reasons. I think, first of all, that the Jews in Jerusalem were threatened by this new event. Their ethnocentricity was being challenged. In other words, they really thought that they were the center of the, of the, of the God world in terms of God's work in the world. Their prejudices were being challenged. All this time, they thought they had a right to look down on the Gentiles, and now that was being challenged because now these guys were brothers in the Lord. Their theology was being challenged because even though the Bible doesn't teach that the Gentiles were unclean, the rabbinical traditions took from the scriptures about the clean and unclean animals and they applied that to the Gentile community and said the Jews were clean and the Gentiles were unclean. So the Bible doesn't teach that, but the traditions of the rabbinical writings taught that. And so now their whole theology had to change. It, it required a paradigm shift, a seismic quake to bring around to God's perspective this group of, of uh, Jewish believers. But they weren't able to do it initially because they didn't hear the report from Peter. They just heard the report from someone else. Have you ever had that happen to you? Somebody comes and tells you, wow, I was just talking with so-and-so and boy, they're mad. Well, what are they mad about? Well, they, they said that you did such and such and this and that and, and uh, they're, 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 boy, they were kind of upset. They were saying some nasty things about you. What? They, and pretty soon, you know, we're all upset about something. We've not even heard what really happened. You know, you've ever, is there anybody that hasn't had that happen? You haven't had it happen? Okay. We've all had it happen. And, and you know, we, we're like out the gate. We're running. It's like, you know, we might not go to the person, but we're, we're like, I can't believe it. How could they say something like that? What are they thinking? Why would they even suggest that I would act that way or behave that way or, or say that kind of a thing? And we're off and running. And I believe that's what happened with these Jerusalem Jews. 
is they heard somewhat of a sketchy report. They might not have had all the details, but the thing that really got hammered home to them is that Peter was eating with these guys. That was the message. And so they responded. And so they came and they criticized Peter. It's the, the word in Greek, diakrino. It means to make a judgment, but in this case, it means to be critical, highly critical, to disfavor, to oppose something that someone has done or to disagree with them. And they said what the two, the two complaints were simply this. You went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate in the house of uncircumcised men. Now, it's a little comical because Jesus was doing this all the time. You know, he was eating with Gentiles. He was eating with tax collectors. I mean, that was the big, uh, the big uh, scripture against him in Luke 15. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered and murmured among themselves, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus was, he's, he's the model. But the Jewish believers were so steeped in their traditions that they couldn't accept that Jesus was really serious about reaching not just the Jew, but also the Gentile. So we find that, um, that this is in us and we're all capable of it. And, um, and I want to share just a couple of thoughts with you uh, relating this to church because, of course, we're in a church setting right now and uh, we're the church. The, this isn't, the building isn't the church, but you are the church. But we're gathered here to hear the word of God. And the church can be affected by these kind of things. For instance, I've seen, I've seen churches, uh, you know, see people come to Christ and then a few people will be really upset because their feet are dirty on the carpet in the church. And, uh, and they don't act, you know, really in appropriate ways in, in a church. And, and people will get saved. And, and I've heard people say that, you know, some, some young kids will get saved and they'll go to the hospitality table and they'll just be like, you know, everything. And, and, and people will say, you know what? They're, they're dirty and they're eating too much. Are you getting the idea of where I'm going with this? I've seen churches split over these, these type of things. I, I was at a church in New York and I was an associate pastor there. And one of the, in the, in the, in the, within the first two weeks, we had their annual meeting. And uh, their annual meeting included presenting the budget and giving reports from all the different ministry groups and everything. And the church was in a building uh, process and they were getting toward the end of it. And, uh, and they had not come to a decision with the decorating committee on the color of the building on the outside. And um, some of them wanted it to be like a, a white building because we were in New England. So they wanted it, you know, like a, a lot of the churches there are white and beautiful. And some people wanted it like a, a stone blue. And, uh, and they were fighting over all these color combinations and, and they couldn't come to a decision. Uh, and it practically split the church. And, and, the, and I'm thinking, I'm coming into this and I'm thinking, my goodness, what have I come into? You know, a church that's so myopically focused on things like this and the people were ready to go to their grave over these things. You know what color the church ended up being? I'm, no, no joke, pink. <laughs> it was a very blushy, light coral color. And I'm thinking it looked like it belonged in Arizona somewhere, you know? But that's what happens when these kind of things happen. Now, in some ways, I feel like I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here because you have such a different heart and I want to give you two illustrations of where I've seen this evidenced in your lives as a church. And they both happened this summer. One was when our church and our, our, our property and this tent got vandalized by, uh, by about 10 or 15 young kids from Kapa'a. And uh, in, in churches that I've been in the past, that would have been war. You know, it would have been an absolute war. Uh, we would have put up gates and fences. We would have hired security guards. We would have keep these little hooligans out of this place. You know, this is no place for, for little, you know, riffraff like that. Well, 
these little kids uh, did. They shot the tent up with paintball and they, they stole equipment and they had stuff scattered all over the property, all their containers, everything would just pull down off the walls in their effort to, to find stuff that they were looking for. And, um, and the next day as we were cleaning up, we prayed, God, redeem this situation. Redeem this situation. Bring salvation. And one by one, a couple of little kids came in and and uh, I don't know why, it was just a, an act of God that they came back to the scene of the crime, you know? But they came back and they, they denied any involvement, but they, I said, hey, tell all your friends down there, down in the skate park, that we love them and they're welcome back here. This place is for them. They don't have to break in. We'll make it open to them. We're, this is why we're here. We wanna, we wanna bless you guys with skating and paintball and with mountain boarding and the, the skate ramps and everything else this church has going. And we want, we want you to come and we wanna set up times for you to do it, but we want you to come back and I want you to tell your friends that they need to come back and they need to make this right and they need to come and help us clean this up. And I'm thinking, what are the chances of that? So the little kid goes off and he says, okay. Little did I know he's the ringleader of this whole bunch. He's 12 years old. An hour later, truckloads of kids start showing up and, and they say, uh, well, we didn't have anything to do with this, but we want to help you. Okay, come on and give us a hand. So we all worked for a couple of hours, cleaned this place up. The aunties and the tutus, they came and they fed them lunch and we're just so kind to them and we're loving these kids. We had music on and, uh, and, and, they, and one of the boys, the ringleader, he says, he says, Pastor Bob, he says, why are you being so nice to us? And I said, it's, it's called grace. And he said, what's grace? And I said, well, would you like me to tell you? And he says, yeah. And I said, why don't you bring all your friends around? Because I realize he's a ringleader. You get all your friends around. He's bossing the 14, 15-year-old kids around. And we gathered right over where you're sitting right now. And we got in a circle and uh, briefly shared about grace. And in the context, shared about the gospel. And every one of these little kids came to Christ. And now we have, this is the neatest this has ever been. All our skate ramps. Usually it's just a little disaster in that corner. And in most churches that, uh, that I can imagine, they, they look at that and say, you know, this is, this, this is a house of God, for goodness sakes. We don't have skating going on in here. This is a place of worship. And, uh, and other people might say, you know, that looks messy. That's ugly. That we don't, and, and what do we have in these little kids? What, what are they, they don't tie. They don't help. They don't do anything around here. But, you know, Bobby Schutz is here every Friday, and these kids are coming to Christ. There were about three more of this last week that came to Christ. They're hearing the message of God. And God's doing a tremendous work. And you know, in all the time that we've had all the disruption, because there has been disruption, there, you know, there are things happening. We had like 25 kids in here. Sometimes, it, you know, sometimes they're messy. Sometimes they're loud. Sometimes they swear. Not very often because we kind of set up some rules and we have a lot of adult supervision. These kids are so glad to be here. You know, their parents who aren't believers drop them off up here and pick them up because they're so glad there's a safe place for their kids to come and they're delighted that they're hearing Bible studies. And Bobby teaches a Bible study every Friday night with these kids. They're hearing the word of God. They're skating to Christian music. Music. They've got adult Christian men who are, are, are showing them the road and teaching them tricks on the skateboards and encouraging these young men and women too. And uh, it's just a glorious thing. And in all that time, I've not heard any complaints from anybody in this fellowship. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, you are that you would place us in such a loving fellowship that sees the bigger picture and isn't nitpicking and petty about the small disruptions and the small little messes and the, you know, the, sometimes the ugliness of the equipment and realizes that this is not the church. We are the church. And this is a skate park when you're not here. And it's, 
It's a place of blessing where young men and women are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for not being petty. Another thing has happened this summer that has uh, changed the complexion of the work of God here at this church, and it's U-Turn for Christ. U-Turn for Christ, I've been uh, talking to Jerry Brown for about three and a half or four years to, to start a, a, a branch here on Kauai because we have such a drug problem, such a great need, especially with ice. And uh, you know if you live here all the efforts of Brian Baptiste and he really has made a lot of effort to try to get something here on the island going. But you know how difficult it is. Over in Hanapepe, they're trying to get this facility going and over and over and over they have complaints from the community about all kinds of silly things about why that facility can't be there where there aren't any, even any neighbors. And yet people just don't want it in their backyard. And, and these guys have come, and you guys are precious to us. I don't know if I should use that word with you men, but anyway, that's how I feel about you. <laughs> you guys are just, I count it such an honor to be friends with you men. And this church is so blessed by you, and by Lance, and by Alex, and your families. And you know, as this whole thing unfolded, the only questions that I had were logistical ones, like where will we put them? And, and, uh, and, you know, how can we bless them? And when, what, what do we need to do? And how can we connect with them and really partner with this, with this ministry? Because they're not just out there somewhere and we're here. You stay on your side, we stay on your side. We're a family. But you know, in a lot of churches, churches I've been in the past, you know what would have happened if I had brought to the church this idea of having a U-turn ministry that is really a discipleship ministry, but, but really ministers to guys that are struggling with drug and alcohol problems and uh, problems with authority and all kinds of things that they've struggled with in the past. And if I brought that to the church, they would, you know what they'd say? You've got to be out of your mind. You are not bringing those guys on this property. We don't even know what these guys have done. We don't know what their criminal record is. We don't know what they're capable of. We don't, are you following me? And they would say, there's no way that's happening. Put it somewhere else. Buy a piece of property. You pay for it. You make it happen. But it's not happening on this piece of property. This is God's property. <laughs> Are you following me? But in all the time that we've been working in this effort, and as it's been launched over the last three months, I've not heard anything from anyone. Now, you may have had some thoughts in your, in your heart. We've all probably had thoughts in our hearts about different things that Pastor Bob has thought of and tried to do. But, but, you, but there haven't been that many. I've not, I can't even think of really anybody that's come and said, you know, you, you, I can't even go to this church anymore because I just don't feel safe here and I can't believe you've done this. Why would you do this? Not one. Instead, what I've seen happen is that I've seen you as a fellowship just completely embrace these men and the ones that have graduated. And, and you guys from U-Turn are such a blessing to us. And I I'm not, I'm, I'm hope I'm not embarrassing you by bringing this issue up and talking about it. But these guys are winning people to Christ. Theron was just telling me this month God has let him win four people to Christ alone as he goes out on the beach and shares with people and, and he's just going out and evangelizing. I know these, as these guys go out and share what the Lord is doing, as they go back, like Christopher goes back to Hanalei, kind of his, his, uh, his area of living before. And uh, people are, he told me that he went to Chingyang Village and people that know him there, they're, People are walking by, they're like, is that you? And they're clapping because they don't even recognize him for the change that God has brought about in his life. And I'm just blown away by this. I'm so humbled by it. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed with what God is doing. But can you see how ugly it would be to say, well, yeah, God's doing a lot, but 
they eat too much at the, at the, at the hospitality table. <laughs> These men are always hungry. You know? They're using the bathroom too much. It kind of goes with the territory, you know, when you live on a piece of property. You know, there are things that we could point out and say, but, 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 we can end up looking like that guy on the beach griping to the, to the lifeguard that just saved a father and a son and delivered a family from a lifetime of grief. I'm thankful for you guys. And I, I'm with these guys every day, so they're like my friends, you know. They, they're not like my friends, they are my friends. And I just rejoice with them, and they are such a blessing. I've got more things to share, but I feel like I'm using up all my time talking about how wonderful you guys are. And it's true. Let me summarize some things that happen in this text. In verse 4 through 10, Peter, instead of getting mad or upset or defensive when, when they pick at this small thing, he says, you know what? Could I just explain to you what just happened? Could I, could I share with you the events that just unfolded? You know, Peter was one of the lead disciples at this time and he could have come back to these guys at, in Jerusalem and said, you know, I, you know, I just can't even believe after the, the two years of sacrifice and the preaching and the fruitfulness of, of the ministry that God has given me that you would even question me over this. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't say to them, you know, I was with Jesus and I saw him live this same kind of a life and you guys have just, you got to pull your head out of the sand. He doesn't do that. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't posture. He doesn't retaliate. He simply, calmly, and clearly relates the events of what happened. The atmosphere of prayer, the unexpected vision, the large sheet coming down, the clean and the unclean animals in the sheet, the command to kill and eat, the response that he had, surely not, Lord, the divine pronouncement regarding the Gentiles that they were not clean, and this thrice-repeated lesson from above, and how Cornelius' men came, and how instructions came to Peter at that moment by the Holy Spirit to not hesitate but to go with them, and the confirmation of Cornelius when they got together and shared notes, and how they realized that God was active and in the very middle of this entire unfolding event. And then we have uh, the preaching of the message and the response of the Gentiles and how they received the message and how the Holy Spirit came on them. And I want to stop here just for a minute because I just took us through quite a few verses. But the, the evidence that, that God gave Peter and these six Jewish witnesses was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it says that they all spoke in tongues. Now, the question I have is, is that prescriptive for today? In other words, does everyone that's receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit have to speak in tongues to evidence salvation? Well, the answer is no. The Bible tells us clearly in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that not all speak in tongues. It's one of the gifts. In fact, Paul lists it as the least. It's not that it's not important, but it's the least in terms of its impact on the body of Christ. All the gifts are given for the building up and strengthening of his church. That's what the gifts are for. They're not for showing off. They're not for like a, a tool belt. You go around and you <laughs> look at what I got on my belt. You know, I got this tool and I got that tool and this tool. And of course, they're all shiny. They haven't been used much, but they look good. But a man with a tool belt, he's a busy building something. And so these gifts are meant for the use of the kingdom of God for the 
equipping and edifying and strengthening of the church. And, and, but the gift of, the t- of tongues is, is one of the gifts. We can't push it away. There's nothing wrong with it. I speak in tongues. Many of you probably speak in tongues. But if, if it's not a gift that God has given you, it's not prescriptive that everyone speaks in tongues. So the question is, why did all these Gentiles speak in tongues? Well, Peter says, then I remembered. And what did he remember? Well, he remembered the words of Jesus in Acts 1.5 when, when Jesus said, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was preparing Peter's heart to understand what had happened with these Gentile believers who received Christ. And he basically was saying, just as Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, these saints, the, the Jewish believers, would be baptized on the day of Pentecost, and then the Gentile Pentecost would happen in chapter 10 of Acts. And that there would also be an accompanying visible manifestation of the Spirit of God. How was it manifested with Jesus? Well, a dove landed on him. And that was, that was John the Baptist's sign. This is the Messiah. And from that on, he kept going around. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah. This is him. Follow him. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, when the disciples received this, this heavenly gift, the Holy Spirit, it was accompanied by tongues because, you know, administration isn't exactly something you can see on somebody when they get saved. It's like, oh, gosh, they all got filled with the gift of administration, you know? And they sit quickly are taking notes and, you know, transcribing things. There needed to be something that was obvious to the people. And so they gave them the gift of tongues. The Holy Spirit gave them that gift. And simultaneously, all of these these Jewish believers were speaking the glory of God in the language of the people who were around them that they didn't even know this language and they were speaking the glories of God. And it was a sign to the people there and thousands came to Christ because of it. Now, two years later, the Gentile Pentecost takes place and these Gentiles receive this gift of the Holy Spirit in the form of tongues. Why? Because God wanted to put an exclamation point on the fact that he wanted that wall down forever. And so they all spoke in tongues. This is Peter's recollection in Acts 15. Poor Peter had to defend this, this, this ministry, this work, this event over and over in his ministry. Acts 15, uh, verse 7. Brother, do you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe? God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Do you hear what Peter's saying? He's saying God used this gift of the Holy Spirit in the form of tongues, a visible manifestation that was easily discerned by Peter and the witnesses that were there that they had truly been born again that they were truly a part of the kingdom, that God was deadly serious about bringing this wall of hostility, this wall of prejudice, this wall of ethnocentricity, this wall of division down, and God wanted it down. And so Peter, from that point on, became the man, the primary man, along with the apostle Paul, who began to teach and preach that the Gentiles were also a part of this great work of God. Peter goes on to say that It's a fulfillment of prophecy that this event was initiated by God and this event was out of Peter's control. He basically says, who am I to oppose this? And what he was doing for the the Jews in Jerusalem is he was was laying out uh, dots that they had to connect. But, you know, have you ever done that when you were a little kid? They have those little... uh, 
little puzzles for kids and you've got the dots and it turns into a little clown when you finish it and everything. And um, you know, when you're little, the dots are just like really close together and as you get bigger and older, you can handle the dots and they put numbers on them and everything. But he was putting these dots really close together for the, for the uh, uh, Jerusalem saints, the Jewish believers. And he said, look, this was God. God gave me a vision. God told me through this sheet that I wasn't to call anything unclean that he had made clean. God simultaneously sent an angel to speak to Cornelius and had him come to me. This wasn't my idea. And I can tell you the same. It was the farthest thing from my mind to have a bunch of kids shoot this tent up and turn it into a skate ministry and have people get saved. I mean, who would have thought of that? It was the farthest thing in my mind when I thought about ministry to have you turn for Christ on this property. But God just is doing these works. He's doing it. And, and that's what Peter is saying. How can we oppose? How can I oppose what God initiated? How can I stop it? How can I get in the way? How can I be picky and petty and, and complain about a little sand on my towel when a whole family just got saved? And so he says, I couldn't oppose it. Basically, what Peter did in this context is he gave an honest and detailed and dispassionate account of the events. He didn't get mad. He didn't get angry. He simply told them what happened. And I think Peter was wise to take six witnesses with him. I think that's why he took six guys with him. Because he said, something's happening here. I'm going to Gentile house. God's doing something big. I need some witnesses. And so he brought these six witnesses. And the third thing that he did is that he appealed repeatedly to the word of God. And the word of God must always be our arbiter in times of disagreement. So it's so important that as a church, that we are a church that's, that's seeking God. Peter and Cornelius had these experiences when they were in prayer. We need to be a church that's in prayer. It needs to be the, one of the hallmarks of this church. And we need to be a church of love. And we need to be a church of openness to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be listening to God. We need to be asking daily for the Holy Spirit to fill us and to use us and to empower us, and to help us keep in step with him. So step by step, it's just not like at the beginning and at the end of the day we pray, but all day long we're saying, God, I want to be a part of the adventure. Put me in the game. I want to play. And I think and believe with all of my heart that so many of us have missed out on the glorious, wondrous, adventurous, dynamic part of the Christian life because we're not listening and we're not paying attention to what God wants to do. God is always the initiator of his great works. Man is the initiator of these stumbling, bumbling efforts that often fail. We need to just let God lead. We need to let God be the initiator. And when he initiates, to just follow along. And that's the, that's the model of this church leadership here. And I, I'm not ashamed to tell you that even though I've been in ministry for 20, almost 27 years coming up now, even after all those years, here's my claim to fame. Here is my prayer to God. Here is my, my boast. Second Chronicles 2012. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. It's not, Lord, I don't know what to do. Uh, bless my plan. It's not, Lord, I don't know what to do. I need to go to a conference on vision casting. It's, Lord, I don't know what to do, but moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, my eyes are on you and in your timing, you will guide me, you will show me, you will instruct me. And the outcome is just this glorious work that God's doing. 
It's just amazing. And God's using you and he's giving you heart and he's giving you vision and he's giving you insight for this island. And you're, you're leading your friends to Christ. You're leading your neighbors to Christ. You're inviting people to church. You're having this pervasive influence and it's just, I'm standing back. I don't even, sometimes I don't even feel like I'm a part of this thing. I just feel like I'm like a, I, I am a part of it, but I feel like an observer watching God work in you guys. And it's just like a, it's like a movie that I'm just like, you know, one of those really feel-good type of movies, you know? Where at the end it's like, yay, you know? Sometimes I've done that in, um, in a theater with my kids and they're like really embarrassed, but <laughs> I'm, I'm 46 and I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. <laughs> so what's the resolution of this whole thing? We've got Peter explaining all of this and then what's the response? What's the outcome? Well, the Jerusalem believers, it says they had no further objection. But it went further because they could have just said, well, all right. We're not happy about it, but you know, you got a point. The family was saved. I'll go brush off my sand. No, they didn't do that. It says that they not only had no further objections, they accepted Peter's explanation. They withdrew their grievances and accusations. And it says they praised God for the inclusion of the Gentiles, that even the Gentiles had come to Christ. There, there are so many dynamics here. I, I, I don't know if it's really possible to explain how seismic, how catastrophically wonderful this event was in this wall coming down. For Cornelius, it meant that he could come into the kingdom of God and his family. For Peter, it meant that he had to drop all his preconceived notions and prejudices that he'd built up through the rabbinical teachings. For the Jerusalem believers, it meant that they had to let go and realize that this wasn't their game anymore. It was God's show. It was God's work. It was God's deliverance. It was God's salvation. And now the doors had been flung open for all who would come, all who would receive, all who would believe. And ever since, it's remained open. And it could be that some of you are here today and you've never received this gift and you've been on the outside kind of looking in, but God wants to do a work in your life and you have not yet asked him into your life. You have not yet invited him in and said, I want to turn my life over to you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I receive the, the forgiveness of sins because of you dying on the cross, sending your son, the fact that he was raised from the dead on the third day and now lives in glory at the right hand of the Father and is forcefully advancing his purpose in these end times until his glorious return. If you've never done that, you can today. And you don't even need to raise your hand or or pray a particular prayer because we have evidence right here that it's something that happens in a person's heart. But if you want to pray with someone, we're here. If you want to uh, have someone uh, share with you briefly, step by step, and pray with you on how to receive Christ, we're here for you. For the rest of us that have already done that, can I encourage us? Man, you're just like the most, I mean, I, I hate to say these things because it's almost like it's probably not a good thing to say, but I just love this church and I love you and I wouldn't want to be in any other church. I've seen this, the gentleness of your heart and your heart for evangelism and your heart for the lost. I've seen you step over messes and, and listen to loud noises in this place and, and see things happen that, you know, it's like, well, that's not exactly what we want to have happen here, but my goodness, people are coming to Christ and people's lives are being changed and this community is being affected. And it's not because of me or the leadership of this church. It's God doing it. It's God initiating it. We're just not opposing it. My, my greatest desire is, Lord, just don't let me goof this up. That's my prayer. God, just don't let me goof this up. I got to stay out of the way. 
and stay on my face before God and pray and let God have his way. But we are living in glorious times. And my message to you is that God is still on the move. God is still working. God is still active. He's got much more ahead for us. And we just need to be on page with him and do whatever he says. And I don't want you to miss even one divine appointment. Not one. And I believe right after this service, there are potential for hundreds of divine appointments. I'd love to see every man and every woman and every young person prayed for here today. Not because we have a group of of so-called leaders up front that you have to come to, but just that we're all participating. We're all serving. We're all loving. We're all connecting. And not just here, but as as you spread out, as the church now spreads out across this island today, that wherever you go, the fragrant aroma of a saving God will be upon you and people's lives will be changed. Father, we thank you for our time this morning and God, I thank you for your help in delivering this message. And I pray, Father, that you would stimulate us and stir our hearts up even to more surrender, more yieldedness, more availability. God, I pray that you'd give us hearts like Cornelius and Peter who are people of prayer, people that are waiting on you, people that are excited about what you're doing, people that are willing to do whatever you want us to do. And in the context of the day-to-day tasks and responsibilities and maintenance issues and work life and family life, all these things, that we would have such a heart for you that we would realize it's not about those things, but it's about the connections that happen in the context of those things that allow us to touch people's lives that we would realize every phone call, every encounter, every conversation is, is divinely set up before time began. You knew these moments would take place. And I pray we would take full advantage of them for the glory of your kingdom and that we would have a joy in, in, in connecting and relating and sharing your word and your love and your encouragement with everyone that we meet, that your glory might be magnified and that your kingdom might be filled with both Jew and Gentile to your glory and to your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.